All right, glad you're with us. News breaking uh, every single uh, second here on the uh, program. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free number, Hannity.com. All things Hannity, our new website up there with news information you can use every day. Uh, It literally just crossed now. Catherine Herridge tweeting out uh, our friend and uh, former colleague uh, now at CBS, but she was with the Fox News Channel a long time, did a lot of great work as it relates to uh, all these issues involving the the phony Russia conspiracy hoax. Um, Let me set the table for you. Remember, I kept saying to you January 5th, uh, 2017, that was an important day of the me- of this meeting that took place inside the Oval Office. Uh, on that day, they had Clapper and Brennan and Comey and Rice and Biden and Sally Yates, etc. Uh, now, on that date, the chief of staff of Obama unmasked uh, General Flynn asked for the unmasking that very day. Then, of course, January 12th was was the date of the uh, Ignatius column in the what, Washington Post. That's the same day that Joe Biden unmasked General Flynn. But this January 5th date brought us right into the office of Barack Obama. Now, if you recall, when all the testimony was released by the corrupt, congenital, cowardly uh a pathetic liar, Adam Schiff, he finally is supposed to release this a long, long time ago. The people that testified under oath, uh, like Clapper and, and Sally Yates and, and all these other people, they all said the same thing. They're, no, we don't have any evidence of any Trump-Russia collusion. None whatsoever. Zero zip. All right. One of the things that Sally Yates said in her testimony under oath when she was before the House Intelligence Committee, is that on this day, January 5th, she was shocked to learn that Barack Obama had known the contents of the unmasking of General Flynn. And then that raises the question, okay, what did Obama know? When did he know it? What was his level of involvement in this? Now, then then 15 days later, Susan Rice writes a note to self. To Susan Rice, from Susan Rice. Somebody else was CC'd, that's that's redacted. Um, It was, at the time, top secret. Well, now the acting DNI director, Rick Grinnell, has now made this public. And we have the letter, I have it right in my hands. Now, this is all important because now all of the Russia collusion narrative is right in the Oval Office with Barack Obama and Joe Biden there with them. And Sally Yates is like a little shocked. Why does Obama know about all this unmasking? Anyway, on January 5th, this is Susan Rice to Susan Rice. On January 5th, oh, oh, let me say it again. This is on the day Trump's inaugurated. She sent this right after Donald Trump, is, it was as he's being sworn into office that day, 1215, uh, on, a, on Inauguration Day 2017. Uh, on January 5th, following a briefing by the uh, IC leadership on Russian hacking during the 2016 presidential election, President Obama had a brief follow-up conversation with FBI Director Comey and Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates in the Oval Office. Vice President Biden and I were also present. 
I didn't know that to be a fact. Now we know. Now, President Obama began the conversation by stressing his continued to commitment, his continued commitment to ensuring that every aspect of this issue is handled by the intelligence and law enforcement communities, quote, by the book. The president stressed that he was uh, not asking about initiating or instructing anything from a law enforcement perspective. He reiterated that our law enforcement team needs to proceed as it normally would by the book. Now, from a national security perspective, however, President Obama said he wants to be sure that as we engage with incoming the incoming team, that we are mindful uh, to ascertain if there is any reason that we cannot share information fully as it relates to Russia. Director Comey affirmed that he is proceeding by the book. That's a lie as it relates to law enforcement from a national security perspective. Comey said he does have some concerns that incoming NSA uh, director Flynn is speaking frequently with the Russian ambassador Kislyak. Comey said that it could be an issue as it relates to sharing sensitive information President Obama asked if Comey was saying that the NSC should not pass sensitive information related to Russia to Flynn. Comey replied, potentially. He added that he had no indication thus far that Flynn had passed classified information on to Kislyak, but he noted the level of communication is unusual. The president asked Comey to inform him if anything changes in the next few weeks uh, that should affect how we share classified information with the incoming team. Comey said he would. All right. This was all written 15 days later. That is what you call the biggest CYA you've ever. Everything by the book. Where did Trump did everything by the book? Every single thing by the book. Why did he feel the need to do this? Now, remember, Comey's lying, too, because on January 4th, you know, when the Flynn case was closed, uh, Comey already knew that there was nothing on Flynn. Everybody had closed out the case. And just before they put the final seal of closure on the case, in comes Peter Strzok. Don't close out the case. We need to keep going. Comey is the one that gives him the okay to keep going when it was all closed out because they had no evidence whatsoever. Uh, And then that leads to, what, 20 days later on January 24th. That's when a General Flynn is in the White House, day four, Trump administration, And Flynn hears the FBI is coming over to talk to him, calls the deputy FBI director McCabe and says, anything I need to worry about? Do I need a lawyer? And that's where McCabe lied and said, no, you do not. And then you have the bragging event of Jim Comey, super patriot. And Jim Comey is saying, I sent them. You know, I took advantage. I did something I I wouldn't get away with or even try to get away with. Uh, in a previous administration like the Obama or the Bush administrations. And I took advantage of the chaos and I sent them in. And that was the ambush perjury trap. And then we now know what does it mean also? It means, yeah, do we want him to do we want an admission from him? Do we want uh, him uh, to commit perjury uh, so that we can prosecute him or that we can get him fired? Well, now it's right there with Biden and Obama. They're both in it. They're both in the middle of it. Now you get to, okay, the White House wants to be informed every step of the way. That was part of the struck page text messages. Uh, Even though we had four separate investigations that found no evidence of any kind of Trump-Russia collusion. 
So you can see what's happening here. That th- this this from the beginning, this is the insurance policy, plain and simple. Now, let me go to the statement of the Attorney General Barr, uh, because the Attorney General, I, I know a lot of people in the media were focused on saying, well, we're not investigating uh, President Obama now. This is a criminal investigation. Listen closely to what he says here. Over the past few decades, Uh, There have been increasing attempts to use the criminal justice system as a uh, political weapon. What happened to the president in the 2016 election and throughout the first two years of his administration was abhorrent. It was a grave injustice and it was unprecedented in American history. We saw two different standards of justice emerge, one that applied to President Trump and his associates, and the other that applied to everybody else. We can't allow this ever to happen again. The Durham investigation is trying to get to the bottom of what happened. Two sets of justice, one for Trump and everybody else, uh, Trump and his friends and associates, and one for everybody else. We see the use of the criminal justice system. We're now weaponizing that. And what happened to Candidate Trump and then deep into the first two years of his presidency was abhorrent, a grave injustice, unprecedented. And then he goes in to explain what the Durham criminal investigation is all about. He's, He's already said it. This is not about a report. This is about they are now involved in a criminal investigation in this case. Now, a lot is happening because you have simultaneous investigations. You got Grassley and Johnson They're doing their investigation. June 3rd now, Lindsey Graham is preparing subpoenas for Comey, for Clapper, for Brennan, and for others, and other people within the Obama-Biden administration. Uh, Politico is uh, pointed out today, he's preparing to ask his colleagues for blanket permission to subpoena dozens of Obama officials connected to the investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 election. Graham is seeking the authority to demand testimony, documents, Uh, from figures involved in the launching of the Russian investigation, in other words, Operation Crossfire Hurricane, including Attorney General Lynch, uh, former National Intelligence Director Clapper, former CIA Director Brennan, former FBI Director Comey, and I'm sure there will be others. Graham also wants authorization to subpoena current former figures involved in that investigation, led by the special counsel Robert Mueller, and that would include the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, and the current FBI director, Christopher Wray. Now, Graham, what he's doing would allow him to subpoena former FBI director Andrew McCabe, former FBI officials Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. You know, if we get to them, we're getting to the bottom of it. I'd add Sally Yates and I'd add Susan Rice to the list uh, immediately. Uh, Now, for those that want Biden and Obama uh, to be called well, when we get to that point, we'll deal with that at the time. That's Those are not the first people you call. Those would be the last people you want to talk to for a lot of obvious reasons. Now, and it also looks like the recently released evidence uh, as it relates to that, that Obama's FBI not only ambushed, railroaded, destroyed General Flynn's life, like we now know they ruined George Papadopoulos' right, uh, life, like they really ruined Carter Page's life, uh, General Flynn's life and uh, every and Roger Stone's life and Paul Manafort's life and Congressman uh, Jim Jordan and Congressman Mike Johnson. 
They said, Where, where's, where's Director Ray? Director Ray had a deadline of 6 p.m. yesterday. He declined to respond to their May 4th letter seeking information and interviews with key FBI officials after these revelations in the Flynn case. Well, no FBI agent should ever be asking, what's our goal here? Is it uh, to get an admission? Is it to get them to lie so that we can prosecute them or get them fired? That's not the role of anybody in any Department of Justice. That's not the role of an FBI special agent. That's not the role of anybody on the seventh floor of the FBI. Now, Director Ray declined to respond to their request, and now they are writing directly, which is interesting. Jordan and Johnson wrote an extraordinary letter to the FBI agent who participated in this January 24th White House interview. This guy's name is Joe uh, Panica. I don't know how you say Pantica or something. Anyway, he was there as part of this ambush interview with General Flynn. And Fox News, by the way, determined that this guy also was intimately involved in the probe of former Trump uh, aide Carter Page. One thing we did glean from the document dumps is the original 302. And what did we find out in that original 302 that has been missing forever? Well, we found out that things likely changed a lot. They didn't think he was lying, for example. And when he gave the answer of, of the calls as it relates to this Russian Kislyak, well, we know that the incoming now new NSA director, General Flynn, had said, uh, I remember the call. I don't remember exactly whether we talked about sanctions or not. That's not a lie. That's called an honest statement. And they didn't think he was lying. That's where this Judge Emmett Sullivan comes in. It's such an outrage because both sides now see the injustice and fundamental unfairness and how he was sandbagged and how his life was ruined. And then they made him lie to save his son from being investigated and likely going to jail himself. And what part of that Emmett Sullivan doesn't understand, I will never know. And there's a new filing, by the way, by Sidney Powell today. All right, a huge development now, this uh, January 5th uh, meeting that took place in the Oval Office. What did Biden, Rice, Comey, Clapper, Brennan, uh, Yates, Comey, what do they all know? What did Obama know? Barack, what did you know? When did you know it? That's the question. And I think uh, we need answers. We need a lot of answers to this, these questions. Uh, we have some other news as it relates to Spygate. Lindsey Graham preparing those subpoenas, as I said. Why is the FBI director, Ray, why is there no urgency in this guy to save the prestige of the premier law enforcement agency in the world? Now, if Sidney Powell, who's been on this program, is correct, then Director Ray had a big hand in helping Andrew Weissman, that would be Mueller's pit bull, advance his career. Uh, why has he basically been missing in action? Why was he still standing by the FISA applications as late as July of 2018? When we know they were debunked by them. We know the subsource of Christopher Steele debunked it. We know Christopher Steele later debunked it. Where is the, where is the accountability on his part? Oh, and the sickest thing in the, of the day is Democrats in a Supreme Court filing. They say that their impeachment is ongoing, that they did not cease with the conclusion of the impeachment trial. Well, you only get to do one at a time, so that would be a flawed argument. All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941. Sean, you want to be a part of the program? I thought Democrats... 
I thought they believed in the right to choose. They really don't, though, do they? They don't choose that you get to choose what your Second Amendment rights are. Then they choose, not you choosing. Um, I thought that they say that Republicans reject science. Listen to the all-out freakout by the mob and the media and Democrats and Dr. Joyless Behar. Just listen to their freakout over the fact that Donald Trump has decided to take hydroxychloroquine. And then we'll give you the real science that the mob and the media that will never report to you. Listen, I'm not sure that we can take it to the bank that he's actually been taking this drug because he says he's been taking it. He's told 18,000 lies and counting. But I guess the bigger question is, why did he say that at all? Well, I think, Nicole, I think there's a first of all, I think there's a high probability, not just because of the fact that the president's a pathological liar, but because of the fact that he is not a complete idiot in the sense that he's heard what's been what has been determined now about the dangers of taking this drug. I think there's a high probability that he's really not taking the drug. And I think you would need to have some real evidence to suggest that this is not Mm. just another uh, tall tale of his. Let me show you the president of the United States is not taking hydroxychloroquine. He's not taking something that his own administration has said will kill you, that his own FDA said will kill you, that the VA said will kill you. What exactly did President Trump say? He's, he's taking hydroxychloroquine? Uh, Yeah, Jake, uh, President Trump has repeatedly touted this drug, but he just announced uh, moments ago for the first time that he himself has actually been taking hydroxychloroquine for the last week and a half. And the president says that he's taking it essentially as a prophylaxis to try and prevent getting the disease in the future, uh, despite the fact that there is so far no uh, substantive medical evidence to back up the fact that it works uh, not only as a treatment, but uh, all the more as a prophylaxis. Did you just say that you took the hydrochloroquine? I'm not, my sound is a little weird. Yes, I took it. Wow. I I can't believe anybody with a brain would take that stuff, but you seem like an intelligent guy. You're a representative in Congress. Why would you take that drug? There are terrible consequences. Dr. Joyless Behar giving out medical advice. Then the, why do you think I call them uh, Area 51? But some people don't even know what that is. Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, Roswell Rachel Maddow and the conspiracy TV that is MS DNC. Well, there's a good likelihood he's lying. He's lying about all of this. And then you got Joey, Joey Scarborough, poor liberal Joe. You know, he's just losing it. You know, in 168 days, they, they can't stand the thought that they're going to have to utter the words uh, president elect. We can, you know, we can now project Donald Trump has been reelected the 45th president of the United States. I mean, I think that might be the single most entertaining moment in our lives if that happens. I don't take anything for granted. I always act like you're a touchdown down. You need you're in the two minute drill. You have no timeouts. You got to cross the plane and kick the field goal to win. That's how I look at elections. Um, But all of these people, they don't care. It's that Donald Trump said, what have you got to lose that bothers them? You know, what did Dr. Oz say so often? And he'll join us at the top of the hour over this. He kept saying over and over again, it's not the army you wish you had. It's the army you do have. 
What's the first role of a physician? Do no harm. Okay, now we've got all the doctors that say just the opposite of what you just heard. And, you know, they look, one thing I learned about doctors is that a lot of them have opinions and they're all hyper competitive and they all want to point to the other doctor and say, that doctor sucks, but I'm great. That doctor sucks, but I'm great. You know, it's sort of like, oh, my car is great. Your car is not great. People's egos are wrapped up in everything. Now, whatever happened to the right to try? Now, think about how profound that one one shift, one change, one paradigm shift in the country you know, happened under Donald Trump. What's the right to try? Okay, you tried conventional medicines. They're not working. You're on your deathbed, and unless you do something, you're going to drop dead. And if you want to try some type of treatment that is unproven in some cases, or you want to try a treatment that, that is maybe is showing promises, you have that right. It's your life. It's not the government's life. You know, what do we, we, we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable life, uh, rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's, it's God-given rights, not man-given rights, not government-given rights. Anyway, so much for the right to choose from people on the left, and so much that they, they really, you know, Republicans, they just don't like science, okay? We don't like your phony fake science like your phony fake news. Uh, there's a big difference there. Now, if you care about what the real truth on hydroxychloroquine is, well, we had the thousand patient study by the doctor in France. We spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, All indications are there that it would speed it would speed up recovery, uh, less symptoms, for example, less severe symptoms. Um, And when taken with uh, azithromycin and, and taken with zinc, it showed promising results for some, but not others. Then they had a VA study that was ridiculous because basically the people were on their deathbed and it was a retrospective study. Yeah, oh, okay, we'll try this. You, you got two days to live. Apparently it works best according to all the doctors I have spoken to when you use it immediately upon finding out that you were COVID-19 uh, positive. I know they used it in all the hospitals in Long Island and most of them in New York as well. Now, what the mob and the media is not going to tell you is they say this is an unproven coronavirus drug. President uh, Trump reveals he's taking a potentially deadly medication. He's taking a deadly medication. Trump ignores medical science once again. Those are the headlines from the mob. On April 28th, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, they issued the following press release. All of you idiots, conspiracy theorists, liars for three and a half years that hate Trump every second minute hour of every day, you might want to listen. Quote, peer-reviewed studies published from January through April 20th, 2020, provide clear and convincing evidence that hydroxychloroquine in combination with zinc and or erythromycin may be beneficial in treating COVID-19, especially when used early. And observational data from China, France, South Korea, Algeria, and the U.S., 91.6% of the 2,333 patients treated in total improved clinically. Meanwhile, there were just 63 deaths, 52 of which came from a single retrospective study. That's the VA study. So really, if you add that, it's 11. 11 deaths, putting aside the stupid study. The VA study is ridiculous. Now, additional benefits shown in some studies include a decrease in the number of days when a patient is contagious, a contagious, a reduction in the need for ventilators. By the way, getting on that ventilator that everyone was screaming about 
Uh, that was not good. Your odds were not good if you got on the ventilator. Anyway, a reduction, it would mean a reduction in the need for ventilators, a decrease in the time needed for a clinical recovery. And many nations, including Turkey, India, are protecting medical workers and contacts of infected persons prophylactically. According to the worldometers.info, deaths per million persons from COVID-19 uh, as of April 27th are 167 in the U.S., blah, 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 blah. All right, we're going back here a while. Um, now, let me go to who I think is the foremost expert on this. I'm, I'm, I'm reiterating this because these idiots in the media... They don't want an answer. Now, ideally, we would have, oh, clinical trials that go on for years. Well, when you're in the moment and it's life and death, you got to go with the army you've got. And we've had I've had people on this program, a number of people that have told their story, how hydroxychloroquine, they believe, saved their life. And it was a dramatic turnaround. Uh, it didn't happen to everybody, but it happened to a number of people. Now, this is from Daniel J. Wallace, M.D. He is uh, the the board certified rheumatologist based at Cedar sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. Let me read his letter. I inherited the largest lupus practice in the U.S. in 1985, and I currently care for 2,000 patients with the disease. The majority of these patients are taking or have taken hydroxychloroquine. I have authored... Listen to this. This is a big deal to get peer-reviewed. Over 400 peer-reviewed papers and written the principal lupus textbook and am a past chairman of the Lupus Foundation of America, the Rheumatology Research Foundation of the American College of Rheumatology, and I'm currently on the board of directors of the Lupus Research Alliance and Lupus Therapeutics. I have authored numerous articles on antimalarials. These are the three big areas where hydroxychloroquine are used. I have also authored numerous articles on these things. Uh, and he says hydroxychloroquine, HCQ, Plaquenil, is a very safe drug. Uh, for liberal Joe, let me repeat that. Hydroxychloroquine. HCQ Plaquenil is a very safe drug. It's been given to tens of millions of individuals in the world since its approval in 1955. That's 65 years ago. And as a monotherapy has not been associated with any deaths in the recommended dose. In 42 years of practice, Dr. Joyless Behar and Dr. Liberal Joe no patient of mine has ever been hospitalized for a hydroxychloroquine complication. And he also further goes on, rheumatologists, they don't obtain EKGs before prescribing hydroxychloroquine uh, and have never had a problem. No treatment guidelines suggest obtaining EKGs or anything else. On the other hand, hydroxychloroquine is associated with QT interval problems when HCQ first came out. We did not have other agents. Some rheumatologists prescribed 600 to 800 milligrams a day in the 50s and 60s, and there were occasional reports with HCQ. In other words, that's the highest dose. Nobody's taking those doses to deal with COVID-19. And he talked about cardiotoxicity can occur, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Talks about eye risk after many years of usage uh, at much higher doses. 
Then he gets back to the issue of treating COVID-19 patients. The risk of taking 400 HCQ a day, hydroxychloroquine a day, following a single 600 milligram hydroxychloroquine loading dose one day for 30 to 60 days is nil. The risk of taking 400 hydroxy milligrams of hydroxychloroquine a day following one single day of 600 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine as a loading dose. If you take it for 30 to 60 days, the risk is nil unless you have an allergic rash or upset stomach. That's it. Insurance carriers are looking at the prevalence of COVID among patients that are given HCQ. Now, we spent a lot of time on this program because, remember, there was a long period of time where Dr. Oz was asking anybody that took hydroxychloroquine that had lupus or rheumatoid arthritis uh, or taken it as an anti-malarial that had gotten or contracted COVID-19. They couldn't find hardly any people. There were instances, but they seemed very rare, just like they looked at the instances of countries where the drug is used, uh, you know, to stop or prevent malaria. And there was also there are two separate studies going on as whether or not it works as a prophylactic. At the end of the day, there's one thing you cannot conclude here, that it's going to kill you. That's not what this guy's 42 years. This is the foremost expert, my view in the country. Now, my choice is, and I'll let all of you at home decide, because I'm not a doctor like Dr. Joyless Behar or Dr. Liberal Joe. But after reading what Daniel Wallace, after 42 years in practice, uh, and has had nobody, no patient of his ever hospitalized for a hydroxychloroquine complication and that the risk is nil, I think for myself, Sean Hannity, I will go with Dr. Daniel Wallace, not Dr. Joyless Behar. But then you get Nancy Pelosi. Oh, the president, it's risky, it's dangerous, he's morbidly obese. Well, some people could be morbidly stupid. Uh, as far as imagine- the president is concerned, um, the, uh, uh, our, he's our president, and I would rather he not be taking something mm. that has not been approved uh, by the scientist, especially in his age group and in his, shall we say, weight group, what is morbidly obese, they say. So I, I, uh, I, I think it was, you know it's not a good idea. Do you know how many shots I can jump in here and take it at Nancy Pelosi if we're now going to talk about the way people look? How many shots we can go in and, and, oh, it's so easy. Oh, it's so easy. You notice also she's getting a lot like Joe, very forgetful, having a hard time keeping trends of thought. Uh, Also, well, saying a lot of dumb things uh, and acting a lot of dumb ways. Anyway, so he took it in consultation with his doctor. I thought liberals were pro-choice. I thought liberals, you know, believed in science. Okay, well, there's some scientists that are saying a lot of different things than they're saying. We have other doctors out there that are saying the exact same thing as what, in fact, um, Dr. Uh, Wallace has been saying. What's this guy's name? Virginia School of Medicine. Infectious disease uh, expert, Dr. Stephen Smith. He was on Dr. Laura, uh, Dr. Laura, Laura Ingram show, uh, the Dr. Laura Ingram show. And they studied, uh, a, a study came out last week indicating that hydroxychloroquine showed no benefit. And the VA hospital uh, thing was a sham. And he, too, agrees with Dr. Wallace, who is the foremost expert in this. 
Now, you all have to decide for yourself. But them freaking out, lying, spreading lies, conspiracy theories, hoaxes. I don't believe he's taking it. Why would he ever take this? This is going to kill him. They sound half the time like they, you know, wouldn't care if he dropped dead. Uh, they hate him so much every single second of our every hour of every day. The president says he's fine. How about we let him make the choice himself? Let every American make their choice. Same thing with opening. We just ask you wear a mask for a short period of time. And a lot of good things have come out about the hydroxy. A lot of good things have come out. And you'd be surprised at how many people are taking it, especially the frontline workers, before you catch it. The frontline workers, many, many are taking it. I happen to be taking it. I happen to be taking it. Hydroxychloroquine? I'm taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. Right now, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I started taking it. Because I think it's good. I've heard a lot of good stories. And if it's not good, I'll tell you right, I'm not going to get hurt by it. It's been around for 40 years for malaria, for lupus, for other things. I take it. Frontline workers take it. A lot of doctors take it. Excuse me. A lot of doctors take it. I take it. Now, I hope to not be able to take it soon because, you know, I hope they come up with some answer. But I think people should be allowed to. It's actually been around 65 years. Tens and tens of millions of doses have been dispensed. Its uh, first approval was in 1955. I just read the letter from Daniel Wallace again, uh, and and he goes on. Hydroxychloroquine is a very safe drug. In 42 years of practice, no patient of mine has ever been hospitalized for hydroxychloroquine complications. 400 peer-reviewed papers He's written the principal lupus textbook. He's a part of every lupus rheumatoid uh, arthritis foundation available and authored uh, also has authored numerous articles on anti-malarials. And then he went on the risk of taking 400 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine a day after a 600 milligram single day loading dose for 30 or 60 days, which, by the way, no doctor was giving for COVID-19. The risks are nil. Unless one has an allergic rash or an upset stomach. Am I going to believe Dr. Joyless Behar or Dr. Pelosi or Dr. Liberal Joe uh, Scarborough? I think I'll stick with Dr. Wallace and probably the Association of uh, American Physicians and Surgeons that endorsed hydroxychloroquine quite passionately. And their peer-reviewed studies, you know, they went on to explain in great detail hydroxychloroquine in combination with zinc and or erythromycin may be beneficial in treating COVID-19, especially when used early. They cite observational data, China, France, South Korea, Algeria, uh, and 91.6% of the patients treated improved clinically. They talked about 63 deaths, 52 of which came from that retrospective study of the VA, which I told you is very problematic. Uh, We know that uh, countries also that have uh, uh, high usage for uh, to prevent malaria or it's a malaria anti-malarial drug. uh, They didn't see the level of incidence that we see uh, here in this country. And then you go through all the other countries that have been using it. And there are a lot of them. They they put it in their paper, you know, Turkey and India, uh, medical workers, uh, people could uh, that have contact with infected persons prophylactically. Those are their words, not mine. 
Anyway, Dr. Oz and I had talked about this at length, and for a long period of time, we were Dr. Oz on his show, on this show, on my TV show, we were all asking if, if you have lupus or rheumatoid arthritis and you're taking hydroxychloroquine uh, and you con- contracted COVID-19, let us know. Now, Dr. Oz had a hard time finding people. He did, but not a lot from what I last remember when we spoke about it. Dr. Oz, welcome back. Thank you. No, we didn't get a lot of people reaching out. Um, but, of course, that's not the best way to do a clinical trial is to ask America, call us if you've got an issue. But it's desperate. Well, well but between our two audiences, we're talking about millions and millions of Americans. There's got to be some. We had 20-some people reach out. Uh, we didn't validate whether they had COVID-19 or that they were taking hydroxychloroquine. We did get permission from uh, the IRB that we applied to this week to study the Medicare database. So as of May, uh, rather April the 1st, the, uh, Medicare is keeping track of COVID-19 diagnoses. So uh, we're, we've got permission to go back and look at people who are taking hydroxychloroquine for at least three months, so they were chronic users, to see how many of them were diagnosed with COVID-19 and then compare that to you know, what you would have expected with the normal population. Listen, nothing is as good as a prospective randomized trial. And so uh, David Bulwar, God bless him, at the University of Minnesota, as a, the principal investigator, on the first uh, to be published randomized large U.S. Pre- uh, trial around prevention to exactly figure out if you, you might want to use hydroxychloroquine to reduce the chance of getting COVID-19. Uh, he had 1,200 people. Uh, that he was able to get to join. We've been recruiting and trying to get people to, pay, to, to join this trial. It was all over the nation. Anyone could join. And uh, so we're going to get the data. He's sent it, has sent it off to one of our big journals. He's waiting for them to review it. Plus or minus, if we learn something, even if it doesn't work there, uh, it, we'd, we'd still learn. A lot of people are adding zinc uh, to hydroxychloroquine, as you mentioned, which um, the president was doing. And there's data from NYU, retrospective. It was not a prospective randomized trial, but a retrospective study that I thought they did a pretty good job on that added zinc. There was a, a 50% reduction, roughly 44%, I think it was exactly, reduction in mortality. Now, again, these are not perfect trials because they're in the middle of this battle we were fighting against COVID-19. And, you know, and there's lots of criticism. We can always throw at all these studies, including the VA study you mentioned. But I, I think until we get the randomized data, people are just are calm down just to figure out what's going down. I should point out that in Bulwar study, 1,200 people, when you do these randomized trials, there's a group of doctors that just look for side effects that might be dangerous. Is there anything bad that's happening? Should we, should we just stop the trial? Because sometimes these medications can be harmful. And in the 1,200 people, again, these were people who are generally outpatients, they did not find a risk of dangerous change from being on hydroxychloroquine, which makes me more comfortable that what Dr. Wallace and others are saying uh, still holds true, that, that this, these medications don't seem to be dangerous in general. Well, if the first you know, uh, a mandate for any treatment. And, and you made the case, and I made the case many, many times on this show, and that is that, well, of course, we, we would love years-long um, uh, clinical trials and placebos, and, the, you know, we, we would love to do things that way. Uh, but these people were dying now. We didn't have that army. Now, hopefully, we'll be able to have these studies over time. But, you know, when when somebody like Dr. Wallace has been doing this now for 42 years and has written all these peer-reviewed articles and and has been you know prescribing this drug for his entire career he seems like to me the foremost expert in the entire country on this medicine and for him to say that he never had a single person of any complication that brought them to a hospital and that the risk at these levels is very low um i would think okay let's start there we're not going to hurt anybody 
Is that a fair assumption? It is. I actually emailed back and forth with Dr. Wallace today, and you know he has a study he's doing. It's a questionnaire to 57 major academic centers of rheumatologists to find out you know, what's going on in their lives. Are they seeing what he's seeing? Is there, is there any potential benefit? And then he also is going to start looking at EKGs just to see if there's any real problem with arrhythmias, uh, even with COVID-19. Again, he's, he, he, a lot of the rheumatologists are concerned that, that we, we're going to have people panic that they think this drug's dangerous and they're going to start to want to get off of it, even though it's a mainstay medication that works well and doesn't seem to be dangerous when used for lupus and rheumatoid arthritis or prevention from malaria. And so the, the, the vitriol has gotten so bad now that you, you, you actually begin to interfere with the conversation doctors are having with patients. And that's unfortunate. It's true if it's COVID-19 and hydroxychloroquine. It's true for any medication. These are difficult decisions for doctors to make with patients. They have to be customized. No drug's perfect. Um, and yet if there's a rational reason that you think your patient should be on a medication, you don't want a recent news article to convince the patient that you're out of your mind because you just spend your whole life studying this after all. Uh, Sally is in Illinois. She's taking hydroxychloroquine, apparently has for years. Sally, say hi to Dr. Oz. How are you? I'm fine. What an honor to speak with you, Sean. I've listened to your show for years, and kudos Thank for the you. Crazy, state of, crazy state of Illinois. Yes, I have been a hydroxychloroquine user for 10 years. The first eight years that I took it, I took 400 milligrams a day. Two years ago, my symptoms for my lupus disease were so down that we went to 200 milligrams. I've never had any issues with the drug. I have to have a regular lab work done and regular eye exams, because that's one of the side effects is that the hydroxychloroquine can cause some eye problems, and by the time you have eye problems, it's too late. So I have regular eye exams, but I've never had any My, my understanding is, is the eye issue occurs only after long-term use over many years, uh, and that yes. is actually referenced to, to in, in Dr. Wallace's letter. Yeah, that's what I understand. My rheumatologist in St. Louis has said the same thing, but I get regular eye exams, regular lab work to make sure kidney, liver, heart functions are all good, and everything everything is good. Now, whether or not it will be long-term use for COVID-19, I have no idea. I, I don't know. We're, we're worrying about other things in our state, but I, I'm, a, I'm a hydroxychloroquine user and have had no issues with it at all. Uh, we appreciate you so calling in. You know, I, I guess we could talk. You're, 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 to say, she, she's, you saw, you're articulating this so clearly, so so right. You prescribe for the for uh, the right amount for the right reason with right follow up. You know, it makes sense, and it's it's that approach that we should be using in the practice of medicine. And when you've got a disease that you don't have a solution to, and now we have remdesivir is a you know the first building block. But with COVID nineteen, when you don't have anything to use, you want to try to use these strategies. So thank you for sharing that story. There is this talk uh, about this, this, you know, new potential vaccine. I know you read about it, 55 patients. Um, this, these are the findings by uh, Moderna. Um, it caused a huge rally on Wall Street as a result of all of this, uh, with it going up quite a percentage. But anyway, what do you make of that study? 45 patients, 18 to 55 with one or two shots, different 25 uh, micrograms, 100 micrograms, 250 micrograms. After two weeks in a second booster shot, those at the low level, 25 and 100 microgram dosages, were uh, found to have stimulated the immune system and created COVID-19 immunities. Uh, what does that mean to you? You know, Dr. Hannity, that is a very succinct synopsis. That's really good. 
that, that's exactly what they did. For, you've got a smart audience. You guys can now put the pieces together. What they were trying to do was to make sure it was safe at different doses. So they gave volunteers, young, healthy people, where if there was a problem, they can usually you know, get ahead of it, uh, the medications. And what they looked for was to make sure you didn't have complications. However, they said, listen, as long as you got the vaccine in you, let's just see if you made antibodies that might actually protected you. And lo and behold, they were antibodies there. So it's a signal. That wasn't the purpose of the trial, but it gives us more confidence that what they're doing makes sense. Let me just take, walk everyone what through Moderna does, because it's a medication you're going to hear a lot about. It's an mRNA vaccine, which means they clip off one of those spike proteins, the ones that let the virus get into our body. Just clip it off. It's like the tail of the virus. But it's not the body of the virus that makes you sick. It's just the tail that gets you in. But they snip that off. They, they put it inside your cells in a vaccine, and then your body starts to make a little protein from that and begins to react to that protein because you've tricked the body now into reproducing just a sign of the virus but not the actual virus. So then if your body ever sees the real virus, it'll say, hey, wait a minute, that tail looks like the one of the virus. I'm going to attack that and stop it before it grows. So, so there was, uh, can I ask this question? This is, a, this is a layman question, not a Dr. Hannity question. So they're not injecting you with any part of the virus, just something that tricks the body into thinking that it is the virus. Well, so the, the coronavirus is a ball with lots of spikes on it. They snip off one of those spikes. Imagine giving it a haircut, right? And they put the hair, a little bit of the hair inside of you to react against. Because so, the, the body will now react and find the hair you know, the, the tail, but it won't actually have to have the actual virus. But it doesn't have, we're not injecting any part of the virus that could harm you. It's just the, the, the little, that spike protein part. That's why these mRNA vaccines are so interesting, because you don't have to give a lot. The body will use its own cell machinery to make the antigen, make the irritant itself. It won't make more than it needs. It'll react with the antibody. And now if you actually see the true virus with the body that's dangerous, you know, the actual ball itself, you'll immediately recognize those spike proteins and knock it out, which is why we are hopeful. Now, I talked to a bunch of immunologists and vaccine experts. One of them told me just out now, he said, that's the one I have the highest hope for because I think, I think it'll work. I think we can make a lot of it, and then I think mm -hmm. it'll be safe in a lot of people. All right, Dr. Oz, we appreciate you uh, helping us out. By the way, if I got, for myself, my decision, I would take it in two seconds. Two seconds, but that's my choice. Um, after talking to guys like you and, and other friends of mine. Dr. Oz, thank you as always. You know, people are dying this way too when you report this better than I could ever report it. But people are reporting, they're, they're dying with this closure, with this shutdown of a country where they're in the house, they're in their apartment, they're not allowed, some people are too tough on it, they're not allowed to go out, they can't, they're losing their jobs. We're not going to let it happen. Do you think your critics want you to keep it closed going into the election? Yeah, I do. I do. I think it's a it's a political thing in addition. Uh, I think because some they're states, saying you're putting money, uh, business ahead of lives. Yeah, no, no. Uh, I think the people that want to see the right thing happen, they agree with me. We have to get our country open. All right. That was the uh, president with Maria Baratoromo in his uh, interview. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean, if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, as we just went through with Dr. Oz, we have a lot of improvements in terms of where, where we are. The mob, the media go insane, as we've been discussing over hydroxychloroquine, forgetting, of course, that uh, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons endorse it. 
And uh, then you get the conspiracy theories over at MSDNC, the conspiracy theory uh, state-run socialist television network of the Democratic Socialist Party, um, this time claiming the president's doctor is lying. The president's not actually taking hydroxychloroquine. Uh, Okay, Joe, you've lost it as usual. Uh, Or forgetting the foremost expert in the country, Dr. Daniel uh, Wallace, out of Cedar Sinai. I mean, this this guy, 42 years in practice, no patient of his ever hospitalized for any HCQ complication, uh, has written 400 peer-reviewed uh, papers, written the principal lupus textbook. Uh, he knows more about this than anybody else, but, but the money line that he makes, the risk of taking 400 uh, milligrams of hydroxychloroquine a day in a single 600 milligram hydroxychloroquine loading dose for 30 to 60 days, the risk is nil unless you have a, a an allergic rash or upset stomach. That's it. That's the worst that can happen. And as you know from this program, many have absolutely said they swear it saved their lives in the middle of all of this. Um, so, oh, and then you have Nancy Pelosi. Oh, yeah. Uh, genius that she is. Oh, the president is morbidly obese. And I'm like, okay, you're morbidly stupid. But who's saying? Uh, So that's part of what's happening here. But the president saying this has got the media all wigged out, freaked out, losing their mind. Uh, We'd gone over this at length many, many times about the safety and and, uh, treatment of it. There's questions about how well it works, whether it works, why it works on some people, not others. Uh, You go to war, as Dr. Oz always says, with the army you have, not the one you wish you had. And uh, but, you know, now we have this chance for a new treatment. Uh, But the bottom line is the country wants to open up. The country is screaming to open up. The country is, you know, they have made up their minds after they've watched everything that has happened. And, you know, the heat is now getting turned up and. The president's saying to governors, the feds will step in if they disagree with state reopening plans. Uh, the Dallas salon owner who was jailed over coronavirus, she's traveling to Michigan to support the defiant barber. They took away this poor guy's license uh, yesterday at a New Jersey gym that was owned and operated. Uh, cops eventually cited them after they said, OK, have a good day. So that kind of surprised me because I guess they were probably given their marching orders by somebody else. And uh, anyway, here to weigh in on this and much more, a friend of mine, Fox and Friends weekend co-host, veteran in his own right, uh, Pete Hegseth is with us. He has his brand new book out today. It's on Hannity.com, Amazon.com, American American Crusade, Our Fight to Stay Free. And I've been reading it and it's phenomenal. Uh, How are you, sir? Doing well, Sean. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Well, you know, it. I've been writing my book for a year, and it's live free or die. It better not be the same. That's all I can say. You, <laughs> if it's the same, it's, been, it's oh, already been it's already been submitted to the uh, publisher. So nothing I can do about that. Like Sean, if it, it may be kind of the same, but it can't be better than yours. That's true. Um, well, congratulations on it. You were there at this gym in New Jersey yesterday. Yes. Now we have the cops. The cops come down. A million people were filming it. And they said, "Okay, you're in violation of the state order uh, not to open up uh, just as long as you know that's the state order. Otherwise, have a good day. And they turned around and walked away. And then apparently other cops came back later in the day. Did you hear about that? 
Yes, it was it was a beautiful moment. Just a few hours later, they came back. And I'll note this, Sean. We had been there for five hours, Fox and Friends. I was inside the gym for two because we were anticipating a raid on the facility or arrests. So when the cops came, it was a big relief. I stayed for another hour and a half to see, and then I had to leave. Ten minutes after we left the national media, the police came back with a citation uh, that was that was stronger, asking them uh, to close. They stayed open. Now, today, Sean, the latest update is they issued the same summons today to the owners. Now they've arrested one of the patrons who came out of the gym because he wouldn't give his name. They're taking a list of names outside of every patron who comes out for future summons, and they cuffed one of the gym members, nothing unruly, and put him in the back of a squad car. And listen, you and I both love law enforcement. This is not about the local law enforcement there in Belmar, New Jersey. They don't want to be doing this. Half of those cops are members of that gym, Sean. It is, it is Governor Murphy who is so, is so drunk with power and won't allow people to make individual choices for themselves that is driving this. This gym owner is courageous. He's responsible. He knows his rights. He respects law enforcement. And he can sanitize and maintain his gym far times better than any Walmart or Target or big box store can. I mean, the attention to detail was amazing. These are patriots. These are capitalists. These are small business owners. And it's untenable. The president's right, completely right. It is untenable to keep well, my, America My closed. understanding of this is that the gym owner is also, I guess they're using social distancing. I didn't see everybody in a mask. Look, my gentle recommendation for the sake of others, wear the stupid mask for the time being. Uh, you can work out in a mask. Uh, they, they I know did, it's... They did, Sean. Out, oh, they were the wearing masks. That's good that to hear. The protesters outside. As far as the business is concerned, they took everyone's temperature. Everyone has to do a health questionnaire. Only members are allowed in. They did 20% capacity. No showers or group uh, group events. You ha- you can only be in there for an hour. I watched two shift changes where all the members were asked to leave. They sanitized every piece of equipment, and a fresh new group of 20% capacity were allowed in. I mean, these guys are above and beyond in their protocol. I wore a mask for my report for America's Newsroom inside the gym out of respect for the protocols in that gym. The, the protesters were one thing and they're supporting the owner but as far as the business is concerned they could not be a, mo- a more above board that's the outrage with how this one size fits all is policy is crushing his business absolutely crushing it um so what was the fine about a thousand dollars for a day or and that's going to happen in perpetuity or do they come in and like arrest this guy next well, they, I think they're going to keep escalating. They're going to start targeting not just the business owners, but all the staff and then all the patrons and up the ante on the fines until it's untenable, until someone breaks. The, they've got a GoFundMe page. The lawyers involved, they're vowing to, to continue to fight it. I, I really think they've become a rallying cry for the nation. This is Attilus Gym in Belmar, New Jersey. Uh, this, the leader's done such an amazing job. And again, he speaks to what they've also asked is other businesses have to do this. This is respectful responsible civil disobedience you can do it wearing masks you can do it following protocols but sean people's lives are being lost their bank accounts are empty you and and right now gyms in new jersey they say you're closed indefinitely this is the revolt of the of the barber shops and the hair salons and the gym owners and the restaurants and even if you can open at 20 percent as a free citizen you're bankrupt in a month or two you know the margins in restaurants that's a really tough business and if you're in the private sector, there's no bailout for you. So every job is essential for these people. I think it's a real – in my book, you mentioned it, American Crusade. The subtitle is Our Fight to Stay Free. 
you have to keep your freedom in this country. And, and these small business owners, God bless them. They're charting the course. Reagan said freedom is but one generation away from extinction. And we're at that tipping point, especially, you know, look at the way the Democrats have been acting. All they want to do now is uh, implement every socialist utopian dream that they could ever even think of. And they're in, in the sense now that they've politicized the virus, like they've politicized everything yep. for Trump, you know, three trillion dollars to bail out uh, all these states that have misappropriated, mismanaged all their money, all their funding, the highest tax states. Uh, you know, in New York, for example, they're building solar factories in upstate New York, $750 million, but it went bankrupt. $600 million for a microchip company, that went under two. $90 million for a light bulb company in a partnership with a California company. Yeah, that was wasted money also. Meanwhile, they reject fracking because they give in and appease the environmental extremists. And the accompanying adjoining border state of Pennsylvania is making a fortune off of fracking. Not at this moment, but they will be again soon um, because they're smart. And frankly, they're probably just stealing all of New York's gas. All you have to do is just stick a little hole in the, under the ground and you get it all. It's true. Listen, the left, the modern Democrat Party today uh, does not understand the free markets. They don't understand pri the private sector. It's messy to them. They can't control it. Uh, governor, uh, government money isn't isn't supposed to control it. And so as a result, they reflexively go right where we know they're going to go. Public-run institutions. They want Medicare for all. If the rural hospitals go under, that's fine. It's more evidence that we need socialized medicine in this country. Never let a crisis go to waste is the mantra of leftists. Problem is, here we are at a moment where Politically, we're fighting them, but we've, my book lays out in our culture, in our education, in our movies, in so many other places that influences the next generation, the left is, is, is king. And without Donald Trump, our crusader-in-chief, we would have lost on the, on the election cycle as well in the political arena. So this, this, is a, this is a stand we have to take. His election in 2020 could not be more important. This is truly the most important election cycle of our lifetime because the Democrat Party is captured by leftists who want to take control of the private sector, take control of our health care. They couldn't build an Obamacare website, but they're going to run health care for 330 million people. That's exactly where they want to go. Well, Obamacare didn't work out well. Quick break. We'll come back more with Pete Hegseth launching his new book today, American Crusade, Our Fight to Stay Free. All right, as we continue with Pete Hegseth, his new book out today, it's called American Crusade, Our Fight to Stay Free. Amazon.com, Hannity.com, bookstores everywhere. You know, it is amazing when you compare and you contrast. Um, there was a great piece in the Wall Street Journal by their editorial board comparing, you know, a tale of two states, a fiscal tale, one being Florida, one being uh, New York. And they point out New York has a top state local tax rate, 12.7 percent, Florida, no income tax, New York growing budget deficit and debt. Uh, and Rick Scott inherited a large deficit and built that surplus, paid down the state debt. And that's the difference in spending. But it's more than that. It's they have better infrastructure, better roads. They take care of older people a lot better. Uh, if you look at, for example, just on Medicaid and uh, uh, Medicaid costs for these states, you pay a lot more in the state of New York than you do in the state of Florida per person. And one of the reasons I think that you're getting so much uh, of the New York population moving out of the state, many of the people moving to the Carolinas or Texas or Florida 
is because they're sick of paying all of this money in taxes and they can't even get a, a governor smart enough to buy the, the 15,783 ventilators that his own task force told him that they would need in the middle of a pandemic. Those states are working, Sean, because freedom works, because the private sector works, because American, are, American people are good people. They're earnest. They're hardworking. They're personally responsible. And, and then in this, you put it in, in this moment right now, they're willing to do their part. They're willing to slow the spread. But they all ultimately want to be given the latitude to go out and earn a living. And then you look at the contrast between how this has been handled. I mean, look at Governor DeSantis. Look at Texas with their elderly populations. They protected the people who are most vulnerable. They respect. They protected the most vulnerable, and they're respecting free citizens to make choices, as opposed to New York, where they sent COVID-19 patients to hospitals, and then they're telling healthy people in upstate New York they can't open their businesses responsibly to, to, to people uh, so they can make a living. I mean, this, this could be the silver lining of this really unfortunate moment, that people wake up to how fragile their freedom is, that it truly can be taken away, that a a, a directive from a governor could tell them they can't work for a living. And a lot of these activists we're seeing that are opening their businesses, they're not overtly political. It's not like they're reading, you know, de Tocqueville all day long. They're saying, I just wanted to work hard. I just provide for Mm -hmm. my family. I have a mortgage and you're stopping me from doing that. It doesn't make sense. It's time to act out. All right, Pete Hegseth, brand new book. It's on Hannity.com, Amazon.com. If you have your bookstores open, you can go to bookstores. Uh, It's called American Crusade, Our Fight to Stay Free. Uh, Yeah, we've got to protect our civil liberties. Pete Hegseth, always good to talk to you, my friend. Thank you for being with us. Sean Hannity, thank you very much. You're the best. Coming up next, our final news roundup and information overload hour. Over the past few decades... Uh, there have been increasing attempts to use the criminal justice system as a uh, political weapon. What happened to the president in the 2016 election and throughout the first two years of his administration was abhorrent. It was a grave injustice and it was unprecedented in American history. We saw two different standards of justice emerge, one that applied to President Trump and his associates, and the other that applied to everybody else. We can't allow this ever to happen again. The Durham investigation is trying to get to the bottom of what happened. So what did you know about those moves to investigate uh, Michael Flynn and was there anything improper done? I know nothing about those moves to investigate Michael Flynn. I do want to press that. You say you didn't know anything about it, but you were reported to be at a January 5th, 2017 meeting where you and the president were briefed on the FBI's plan to question Michael Flynn over those conversations he had with the Russian ambassador Kislyak. Now, I thought you asked me whether or not I had anything to do with him being prosecuted. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I was aware that there was that there, they asked for an investigation, but that's all I know about it. Yeah, until the next day when we found out uh, he knew a lot more about it. Uh, we now have a report, Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal, a great writer, a uh, great columnist, has done a lot on the deep state. Uh, that sources are now saying that uh, DNI uh, director Rick Grinnell has declassified. The full text of the January 20th, 2017, Susan Rice email to self. Remember, that was memorializing the January 5th meeting in the Oval Office. And that was with Clapper and Brennan and Comey and I believe Rice. She had to be there and Sally Yates, etc. And that's where Sally Yates testified under oath 
that, in fact, she was shocked to know that Obama knew all about the unmasking and the contents of General Flynn's phone call. That's a problem, because now it's the what did you know and when did you know it? And we also have other breaking news on Ukraine, but we're going to wait to see uh, whether or not uh, there is an update with Biden and zero experience Hunter. Um, So but remember, this memo was, oh, Barack did everything said to do everything by the book. Okay, this is the same liar that went on five Sunday shows and lied to the world about Benghazi. So uh, we'll find out how true that might be. Now, we other we have other breaking news as it relates to Spygate, uh, all important stuff. And we have the the now filing of our friend Sidney Powell, the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. And this is a petition uh, in this case as it relates to General Flynn and what this case is all about, because we now know that Emmett Sullivan has not been doing his job and it seems to have his own agenda, even at one point questioning the patriotism of General Flynn. We now also have Republican attorney generals around the country, about 15 of them urging Judge Sullivan to release or dismiss the Flynn case, which he should have vacated on day one. And after letters from Lindsey Graham, Chuck, uh, Chuck uh, Grassley and Senator Johnson now calling for the declassification of the email uh, to self by uh, what's her name by uh, uh, Susan Rice and a couple of other things. You know, now we're learning that the Democrats have not dropped their impeachment efforts yet. Nike, you can't make this up. Democrats are telling the Supreme Court of the United States of ongoing new impeachment inquiries in an effort to obtain Mueller materials. What, this goes into perpetuity? We impeach Pre- President Trump on a hour-by-hour basis without any real justification because it didn't work out the way we wanted the first time after the witch hunt on Russia fell flat on its face also? Anyway, so we have uh, now a lot of people stepping up on that particular uh, new development. The FBI did use new hooks to advance their Trump-Russia probe, but we now know, too, that January 21st, is when the subsource of uh, 2017, the subsource of Christopher Steele, where he had started to testify on three separate occasions that Steele got it all wrong. That's not what I told him. That's not what this is about. Also questions about where is Christopher Ray. Also questions about how devastating the remarks we just played from the Attorney General Bill Barr, which is a big deal for him to say, yeah, they treated Trump a lot differently. Yeah, uh, we didn't do this before this way. Yeah, this is a problem, and this is a dual justice system, uh, and this was all BS from the beginning. You know, it's he said it's beyond uh, unacceptable and unprecedented, and uh, certainly two standards of justice and pretty much everything we've been telling you for a long time. Now, Lee Smith is back with us. He had written this book, The Plot Against the President, the true story about how Congressman Devin Nunes uncovered the biggest political scandal in U.S. history, and that's what we've been calling it, the greatest abuse of power corruption scandal in history. Uh, Lee Smith, welcome back. Sean, thank you very much for bringing me on once again. A great pleasure to speak with you. Well, now that we got all of the transcripts of all of these Obama officials going to the House Intelligence Committee, and Adam Schiff finally released them, he should have released them a long time ago, now we know the reason why he didn't want to release them, because it gives a timeline of his lying. Because every single person that went before the House Intel Committee said the same thing. They had no evidence whatsoever of Trump-Russia collusion. And then he would run out to the cameras and say just the opposite. Right. 
And so he needed to keep that hidden for as long as possible so they could keep running that through the media. I mean, of course, the uh, one other obscene factor here is that the media knew all along what was going on or else they would have called him out at some point and said, um, Congressman Schiff, you keep telling us about all the collusion you've got. Can you please release this information so we can see it? Just declassify it. And let's get to the bottom of this. But, of course, they knew he didn't have anything, and they furthered the Trump, the anti-Trump operation. And look at the incredible amount of damage they've left in their wake, targeting not only individuals like General Flynn you were speaking about before, um, but there are others, Carter Page, George Papadopoulos. Never mind, to what they, never mind what they've done to the country as a whole. They've, you know, they, they, they've torn away at the political fabric of the country. And that's where we are right now. I heard you speaking about the uh, restarting, impeachment, <laughs> restarting impeachment procedures, as absurd as that sounds. But this is an important part of their program. This They're is what arguing that before the U.S. Supreme Court, Lee. Right. right. It's what they've been doing all along. You see all the, all the pressure that Ambassador Grinnell and Cash Patel uh, over at DNI, the acting director and his deputy, Cash Patel, the pressure they've been putting on the deep state by declassifying these documents, putting these documents out. It has a lot of people extremely worried. And you see even other people, I, I heard the clip you were playing before the, the interview with uh, former Vice President Biden. I mean, these guys have reason to be concerned right now. We heard from James Clapper on CNN that President Trump's campaign was, quote, aiding and abetting the Russia, the Russian attempt to interfere in the 2016 U.S. election. When he was pressed on the issue, uh, he used the term aiding and abetting. Now, this newly released testimony, for example, shows that Clapper told Congress that he never saw any direct empirical evidence uh, whatsoever of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. Uh, now there is a conflict on that issue, and then there's a conflict between Comey and Clapper because Comey is claiming that Clapper is the one that told him about General Flynn and the unmasking, right. and Clapper is saying he didn't. Who should right. we believe, or is there an option C, believe none of them? <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's possible. They, they, they it, it is possible, I think, they both might be lying. I mean, I, I certainly think it's possible, however, that um, that former president, Barack Obama, may have learned about this before before Clapper told them, if you look at the other interesting documents we've seen uh, declassified, the list of people who were spying on the Trump transition team and then the Trump White House, I mean, first of all, it shows us how the Obama administration nurtured and promoted a culture of espionage. That's one thing. The other thing it shows us is they're following General Flynn quite often in real time. Right. They know there's a different aiding going on and they want to listen in and they want to find out what's happened and they declassify it right away. So it's quite possible that Barack Obama knew about Flynn's conversations with Kislyak long before he was alerted by uh, James Clapper or James Comey, whoever may have told him. Well, I think really important points that you're making here. Where does this all end? You heard the attorney general Barr. How do you interpret his remarks? Because to me, he basically is saying and confirming everything we knew. Premeditated fraud on a FISA court to illegally spy 
Well, first, take away the civil liberties, constitutional rights mm-hmm. of Carter Page right. and spy on a presidential candidate, knowing it's unverifiable, knowing it's political, knowing Hillary paid for it. And then the last two, it even gets worse because they talked to Steele's subsource that said, right. yeah, I never told them any of this. Yeah. And yet they used it as the bulk of information to quote the Nunes, Grassley, Graham memos, uh, mm-hmm. saying that it was the bulk of information. And we now know from the new testimony that, in fact, Andrew McCabe did say without the dossier, you didn't get the FISA application right. passed. Right. No dossier, no FISA. I mean, I, I looked at the I, I know that a lot of people were concerned when the attorney general announced that he thought that there was no way that there was going to be an investigation of former president. Obama and former Vice President Biden, um, I think it's important to emphasize what, what you're talking about. He's talking about the sweep of the investigation, the different people who were involved and what they did. I, I think it's absolutely uh, it's enormous. And again, these documents, we now know it wasn't just the FBI and the Carter Page FISA, and it wasn't just the Clinton campaign. What the list of, un, of people who unmasked General Flynn, what that shows us, again, is that goes right to the White House. This goes to Obama officials, Comey, Brennan, Clapper, the director of intelligence over at the, at the Treasury Department, the secretary of the Treasury, Jacob Liu. It's an enormous list. These are all Obama officials. And they, in less than a two-month period, they unmasked General Flynn 53 times, Samantha Power seven times. This is a this is a very very dark picture into what is uh, increasingly clear was a deeply corrupt administration, and I imagine I, I, I join all of your listeners in uh, having confidence and faith in Mr. Barr and Mr. Durham in getting to the bottom of this and finding out what happened and holding people accountable. So we can get back to our regular justice system and have our regular debates as Americans between the right and left. But we can't live together like this with a two tier justice. You don't you won't have a country left if you're going to abuse the powerful tools of intelligence this way. And you're going to have a few people abuse those powers and try and impact an election and then try and undo uh, the presidency of a a duly elected president, uh, it's a problem. Stay right there. More with uh, Lee Smith on the other side. And as we continue, Lee Smith is uh, with us. All right, so based on these little crumbs that Attorney General Barr is leaving for everybody to interpret, where do you see this investigation headed? To me, I I think it's a slam dunk case, for example, on Hillary obstruction of justice with the email server bleach bit hammers. I think it's a slam dunk on the unverifiable dossier. They were warned ahead of time. To me, that's premeditated fraud on a a FISA court. They sign a document that says they verified these things. It's unverifiable. Uh, Then you have Rod Rosenstein signing the last one and then he goes ahead with a scope memo, knowing darn well the dossier's total BS. Uh, right. Who should get held accountable, and will they get held accountable, Lee Smith? I think the map is getting larger and larger. I mean, I know that when I spoke with Congressman Nunes for my book, and I've heard him speak about it in recent days on, uh, on TV and radio as well, but talking about the different criminal referrals they made. And some of them were about, I mean, they had two important conspiracy referrals. And one of them had to do with intelligence products. And we know the problems, you know, the reported problems with intelligence products, namely the intelligence community assessment. So does this mean we've seen reports about this so they can be believed? The place from like places from the New York Times, we can at least gain some information from that, even though it's under a cloud of obfuscation. 
But we understand that John Brennan is someone that Mr. Durham has been looking at. We know that different problems with people in the FBI have been obvious. Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. And again, uh, the declassification of more documents shows us how, how many people were involved. Page, Strzok, it appears, Bill Priestap. It appears it went all the way to the seventh floor, as I said. These are all things that we assume. But it looks like there is more and more evidence to point out different people who were involved. And now with the, with the Mueller special counsel's office, a lot of things. It's not just the Flynn case. These guys are involved in a lot of very, very questionable tactics across the board, whether it was the Papadopoulos case, whether it was, uh, whether it had to do with Michael Caputo, whether it had to do with Sam Clovis. So I imagine that the investigation will pay attention not just to the agents at the FBI, not just to people like John Brennan, but also the prosecutors that Mueller brought on that team. All right. Uh, Lee Smith, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Uh, Great work, as always. And Devin Nunes told the American people the truth. And Adam uh, Schiff, the compromised, corrupt, congenital liar, didn't. He, too, should be held accountable for the lies that he dragged this nation through. Uh, appreciate you being with us, updating us. It's slowly happening. That's the good news. All right, when we come back, your calls, 800 941 Sean, toll-free number. You want to be a part of the program? I was a Democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're, you're... We have to take care of the cure. That will make the problem worse no matter what. No matter what. <laughs> Excuse me. You know, you're supposed to cough into your elbow. I don't know. Sir, I learned that actually covering your White House. That's, that you no, did. actually, actually, that's true. But fortunately, I'm alone in my home. But that's OK. Why doesn't mm-hmm. he just act like a president? That's a stupid way to say you it. You know, I Donald guess, Trump was really asked. Wishing... Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I probably best I don't. And what we have done is the reason why most of the world is repaired to us, particularly after World War II, is because of who we are as a nation. We, the people, we hold these truths, etc. Sounds corny, but it's real. If we were setting up an education system for the first time in our history, as we did at the turn of the last in the late 1800s, we would not say 12 years was enough. 12 years is not, not, not enough to live in, a, to, in the, 20, the, the second quarter of the middle of the 21st century. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go, you know the, you know the thing. Oh, you did. We adopt the, the thing. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created by the you. You know, oh, you, you know, the, the, you know, the thing, the, the thing. And of course, every disastrous podcast, they can't even put a podcast up. He's been hiding now in his basement for 65 straight days. I'm not you cannot make this up now. Uh, we have an interesting story out of the great state of Georgia, Georgia lawmaker. I lived in Atlanta, well, in Roswell, uh, Georgia, for four years uh, by the name of Vernon Jones, announced his intentions to resign from office, but now he reversed himself. He said shortly thereafter, the outpouring of support I received was too great for me to ignore. I will not allow the Democrats to bully me into submission, and I'm not going to let them win. I will not resign. Now, Ted Cruz responded by thanking uh, Vernon Jones uh, for demonstrating his courage of of his convictions. 
Uh, Vernon Jones joins us now. Sir, how are you? Doing fine, Sean. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm good, and I miss uh, I miss a lot of things down in Georgia, not the least of which is the varsity, my favorite place in the world. <laughs> well, let me tell you, we miss you, DeKalb County. You know, when I was county executive, I think that's the last time I saw you uh, yeah. at Tampa the Grill. We had a great time talking then. But, we did. You know, you always have a place back here. Well, you're very kind. Um, let's start with where the decision came from, um, because you decided you were going to support Donald Trump. Uh, apparently, it, it, look, I, I would argue that the Democratic Party of old, I'll, I'll use a Georgia example. There are no more Zell Millers. There's no more um, J- even Joe Lieberman. Sam, no. uh, there's no room for for anybody with any level of moderation. So you endorsed Donald Trump, the Democratic Party goes insane. So you figure you're going to leave. And then you said, no, I'm not leaving. Why should I? Well, first of all, you, you made a good point, a point Sean. Um, there are no more Zale Millers. There are no more Sam Nunes. I'm probably the last of Mohicans in the Democratic Party. I'm, I'm the only one that received the A rating from the NRA, Democrat in the entire state of Georgia. And so I didn't leave my party. My party left me. They've gotten so far to the left with radical ideas. They put illegals before the American people. They are not fiscal responsible. Uh, a number of things, Sean, I disagree with my party. And they brag about being a part of inclusion and diversity. Yes, they have it for women and, and people of different orientations, but they do not have it for independent thinking and conservative black man or woman. Uh, this party is full of bigotry. And uh, it, it's ironic they say the things that they say, but they're not about inclusiveness, and certainly they're not about independent thinking, again, African-Americans. And so they've gotten so far to the left, I just couldn't stomach it anymore. Uh, President Trump is doing a fine job. I supported him in the past. I supported other uh, Republicans in the past. I've always been an independent thinker. I call balls and strikes just like you, Sean. And uh, when I look at the president, what he's done uh, with this country, how he's he provided record number of unemployment. I see how he he talks about putting America first and bringing jobs back here by America. Uh, he's done a lot with deregulations, which allowed a lot of private companies to come up with a lot of re I should say innovations. We're now repurposing our factories, and I'm loyal to his agenda. His agenda is about the American people, um, and it's specifically too, Sean. I want to be clear. He has done more for the African American community than any other president, I think, in my lifetime. And when you look at Opportunity Zone districts, what he's done to fund and support and write into law, financial support for historical black colleges, and when you look at prison reform. Um, and matter of fact, all of those things have helped every American. And so I, I put my country before my party, Sean, and, and my party, um, uh, they don't like that, and, and they want to they wanna, uh, smother me out. They don't want me to be vocal about what they're doing. You watch. They're going to pour a ton of money at you. Uh, now, you, you raise some points here because, you know, prior to COVID, and I believe we're going to re- recover, and I think we'll have a very a, a healthy recovery, certainly starting uh, by the fourth quarter. I'm hoping the third quarter we begin to see the signs of it. But uh, we prior to COVID, it's the lowest ever, you know, one record after another, lowest ever unemployment, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, uh, women in the workplace, youth unemployment, African-American youth unemployment. You mentioned criminal justice reform. All that reminds me of is my friend Alice Marie Johnson. I'll never nobody will ever forget that day. She's a lovely, sure. lovely human being. 
Um, and when she came out and saw her family and said, thank you, America, for giving me a second chance, I won't let you down. Uh, you're right about the president helping historically black colleges, uh, opportunity zones. But, you know, it seems like every two and four years, Vernon, we got the same thing. You know, Republicans are racist. Republicans are sexist. Republicans, conservatives are misogynist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic. They want dirty air and water and they want a Trump lookalike to throw your grandmother over the cliff after she spent the last three years of her life eating cat food and dog food. Uh, It's all a lie, because if there's anybody that says that they're a conservative that finds themselves being racist, there's no conservative friend of mine that wants anything to do with these people or sexist um, or any of these things. Well, Sean, when I look at the Democratic Party, um, obviously there's there's a lot of bigotry there. Um, and th- they can always use excuse whether Republicans are racist. Well, wait a minute. I'm black, or you can call me African American, whatever. I'm, I'm a lifelong Democrat. I'm in that party. So are you going to call me a racist too? No, you can't. And that's how I'm able to expose them in a way that no one else can. Because you can't call me a racist because I'm saying we're being led this way by the far right liberals. We have an agenda for everyone else except ourselves. Look at Nancy Pelosi. She's putting $1,200 in this, uh, this $3 trillion budget they just passed and sent over to the Senate dead on arrival. But what about American families, black or white, uh, and others who are Americans who haven't gotten a stimulus check, who still need some financial support? What about them? They don't care. Donald Trump, as you mentioned before the pandemic crisis, there's not a single category, not a single color or gender, anybody or age that didn't get left behind. Everybody was helping President Trump uh, under his under his watch and his leadership and his agenda. And that's why, you know, he did a good job uh, of breaking all those record numbers for unemployment and job creation and helping small businesses. But at the same time, he's doing a hell of a job right now, striking a balance between dealing with public safety, dealing with the health crisis. But at the same time, recognizing that people have lost their businesses, people lost income, they want to go back to work. And he's striking a good balance as a, having run a government myself. Um, I've had to to make those tough decisions that he's making. And I like what he's doing, and that's why I'm supportive of him and what he's trying to do. Uh, And and the sad thing about it, Sean, when when you look at this president and his agenda, what he's been able to accomplish with all the investigations, all that crap, all that was to keep him from doing his job. But he's doing it, and he's doing it like no other president has in in recent time. And so I, I support him. I support what he's doing. And a lot of African Americans support him too, and that's what the that's what the Democratic Party is afraid of. Uh, African Americans like me, who are independent thinking, who say the hell with their plantation, turn the light off. Uh, we're going to rent that suite to somebody else. We're gone. Uh, we're going to support this president because of what he's doing. He's making a difference, Sean, and he's not a racist. Um, if I had to compare racism, um, it's a lot more in the Democratic Party, uh, and they want to hide it and don't want to show it. It's a lot more racist. I don't want to call him an individual racist, but bigotry. There's a lot of bigotry you in know, the Democratic Party, and I'm pulling that sheet off and showing it. And what does the president say as he closes out his rallies? You know, we are one glorious nation under God, one uh, glorious American family, and we are. And when you say, okay, we're going to make sure that we secure the border because we don't want people losing those jobs, I believe that played a big part in the employment opportunities that emerged for the first three years of his presidency, and I think will reemerge after this COVID is over. 
You know, and then I look at, you know, the things, for example, Barack Obama saying this weekend, you know, we had this terrible case down in Georgia. Um, it, there's nothing on that tape that makes me comfortable in any way. Um, I, I don't rush to judgment as everybody else does, but I, I there's not a single thing on that video that I like what I saw. Um, and we better get to the bottom of that and get to the truth of that. And Obama makes that shot. And I'm thinking, you were president, 4,000 people were shot and killed in your home city of Chicago, and you barely uttered a word. And tens of thousands of other people were shot in your home city, and you barely uttered a word. And I'm like, you and know. Sean, he's still not doing it. <laughs> he's still not uttering any words about what Well, then why did he bring Chicago. up the Georgia case? I under, Look, I understand. Nobody, I, I, I don't know what the final story is going to be here. I don't know why these guys were following this young man jogging. Do you know the latest on that? Well, Sean, I think you know as well as I know. First of all, uh, many times there are people who are that were their houses under construction, and, and people were interested in maybe walking in the house. You're not knocking down a door. This guy didn't knock down a door. You have to be committing a felony to even make a citizen's arrest. Well, if you're not taking anything out of the house and you're jogging and you just stop on your jog and you leave and you have nothing in your hand, that means you didn't steal anything, which some people are trying to claim this kid stole something. Apparently, he was a great athlete. Is that true? But, but, But that's irrelevant. Like you said, nothing was stolen. That's not what this case is about. This case is about someone taking the law in their own hands um, and allegedly committing a crime that obviously we, we saw the tape. We, exactly. Like, I'm like you, Sean. Like Why the didn't they call the police? If you had a suspicion, for whatever reason, call the police. Why do you take it upon yourself and confront somebody like that with guns in your pocket? It's insane to me. Well, I think because he was a former police officer and worked maybe with a district attorney's office, he felt that he can take the law in his own hands. But I want a swift, fair, and fair trial. And I think Brian Kemp, our governor, has done a good job. Uh, he did a good job when he sent the GBI down there and they made an arrest. You know, there was different conversation about the district attorney saying that the courthouse was closed. They couldn't convene a grand jury. Well, you don't need a grand, a grand jury to arrest someone. So the, Governor Kemp getting the GBI involved, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, they made an arrest, I think, within 36 hours. And the state attorney general here has appointed uh, an attorney that's not from that district, matter of fact, from North Georgia, from Cobb County, actually. And so I think we all want to have the facts to come out. We all want this case prosecuted to the fullest. But we want, again, a fair and thorough trial. Now, with that being said, uh, Sean, um, I think everybody feels that that situation was very, very unfortunate to happen to that young man. But again, well, I got I got to tell you, and I, and I got to run here. But as somebody that has been I've ca- I had a license to carry in Georgia, one in Alabama, one in uh, California, New York. I've carried it my whole life to get me involved in a confrontation. I will literally turn around and I will walk backwards as fast as I can to avoid any confrontation. And we all have cell phones. Pick up your cell phone. Call the cops. I mean, it's that simple, but I got to let you go. Uh, Vernon, if uh, if they start attacking you and throwing all sorts of money in your district at you, let us know and uh, we'll uh, we'll get the word out. OK, well, well, Sean, I didn't. I, I decided initially not to complete my term. But after all that and the support I got, I decided to finish my term. So my term goes until November. But we, we I mean, to January. But I'm waiting when we go back in special session. I co-sponsored a bill dealing with 
illegals that they commit violent crimes that they cannot have a sanctuary uh, coverage that the police department will be uh, turning them over to ICE. That's in the hopper. And also pushing forth some legislation that deals with party affiliation. If someone commits a crime against you because we're a MAGA hat, well, there are going to be consequences. So uh, hopefully we can talk about those things in the future. All right. Uh, Vernon Jones, thank you so much uh, for being with us. We appreciate it and wish you the best. Let us know if we can help. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. All right, now Susan Rice's letter that memorialized the January 5th, 2017 meeting with Obama, Biden, Sally Yates, Jim Comey, Clapper, Brennan. Uh, uh, Obama said to do everything by the book. Uh, okay, we'll get to that. Also, Sidney Powell on the new motion filed in the D.C. Circuit. Hannity, Fox News. We'll see you then. Thanks for being with us back here tomorrow.